Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I am Bert Zipperer, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated, retired. Thank you to all our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ann Habel, a retired member of AFSCME 171, University Blue Collar Workers. Today, we bring you the full message from UAW President Sean Fain and more on the history-making strike against the big three automakers, along with news of struggles at Crushing It, MG&E, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. As of today, the United Auto Workers is on strike against all three of the big three automakers. Labor Radio has full coverage of last night's strike call by UAW President Sean Fain. This is our generation's defining moment. The money is there, the cause is righteous, the world is watching, and the UAW is ready to stand up. Last night... At 10 p.m. Eastern and 9 p.m. Central Time, United Auto Workers President Sean Fain, as promised if a contract had not been settled, announced for the first time a UAW strike simultaneously directed at all three major U.S. auto companies, GM, Ford, and Stellantis, the former Chrysler Fiat. We here give Fain's full five-minute speech from last night. Good evening, UAW family. I'm going to be brief because time's of the essence. For the past 24 hours, we've been actively bargaining with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. For the first time in our union's history, we had all three companies bargaining right here at the Solidarity House, leading into the final hours of our strike deadline. We've been working hard trying to reach a deal for economic and social justice for our members. We have been firm. We are committed to winning an agreement with the big three that reflects the incredible sacrifice and contributions UAW members have made to these companies. We've been open. The companies, the members, and the public know that what we've been fighting for. And we've been clear. Midnight on the evening of September 14th is a deadline. UAW family, that deadline is nearly here. Tonight, for the first time in our history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. We are using a new strategy, the stand-up strike. We will call on select facilities, locals, or units to stand up and go on strike. Tonight, we call on three units to stand up and go on strike at midnight if we do not reach a tentative agreement in the next two hours. We're calling on GM, Wentzville Assembly, Local 2250 in Region 4 to stand up and strike. We're calling on Stellantis, Toledo Assembly Complex, Local 12 in Region 2B to stand up and strike. And we're calling on Ford, 
Michigan Assembly Plant, Final Assembly and Paint Only, Local 900 and Region 1A to stand up and strike. These three units are being called to stand up and walk out on strike at midnight tonight. The locals that are not yet called to join the stand-up strike will continue working under an expired agreement. No contract extensions. Though the contract is expired, most of your contract is still in effect. Management cannot change terms and conditions of work in your workplace. You do not become an employee at will. You cannot be fired or disciplined for no reason. This strategy will keep the companies guessing. It will give our national negotiators maximum leverage and flexibility in bargaining. And if we need to go all out, we will. Everything is on the table. I encourage you to visit uaw.org slash stand up for everything you need to know about working under an expired contract. No matter what, all of us need to keep organizing. Rallies, protests, red shirt days, and community events. We must show the companies you are ready to join the stand-up strike at a moment's notice. And we must show the world that our fight is a righteous fight. Again, tonight at midnight, GM Wentzville Assembly Local 2250 in Region 4, Stellanus Toledo Assembly Complex, Local 12 in Region 2B, and Ford Michigan Assembly Plant, Final Assembly and Paint Only, Local 900 in Region 1A, will stand up and walk out on strike. The rest of us will keep organizing and support them on the picket line. If we strike tonight, I'll see you on the picket line at Michigan Assembly at midnight. Tomorrow, we'll be holding a mass rally at the UAW Ford Joint Trust Building in downtown Detroit at 4 p.m. We will show our strength and unity on the first day of this historic action. All options remain on the table. National leadership will determine the appropriate targets and timing for further stand-up strike action. This is our generation's defining moment. The money is there, the cause is righteous, the world is watching, and the UAW is ready to stand up. This is our defining moment. Thank you. As Fain explained, the UAW has chosen a technical approach, picking and choosing some shops to strike while having others continue production. The three plants that went on strike today, GM's assembly plant in Wentzville, Missouri, Stellantis's Toledo Assembly Complex in Ohio, and Ford's Michigan Assembly Plant in Wayne, Michigan, covers about 1,300 workers, which is still less than 9% of the roughly 150,000 UAW auto workers nationwide. This tactical approach comes with a communication and organizing message, which has not been seen in the lifetimes of many UAW workers. For example, the union's social media yesterday posted an international pledge of solidarity from a GM plant in Brazil. Pode contar com os trabalhadores do Sindicato dos Metalúrgicos de São José dos Campos e a CSP com lutas, que desde o Brasil vai fazer tudo possível para que vocês sejam vitoriosos e vamos 
prestar a nossa maior solidariedade. You can count on the workers in São José dos Campos at the GM factory as well as CSP com Lutas to support you in this struggle. Solidariedade. Solidarity. Preceding the strike, the UAW prepared legal advice and instructions from attorney Ben Dichter and put it on its social media, which is heard here in part. Here's what you need to know about working without a contract. Most of your contract is still in effect, and management cannot change terms and conditions of work in your workplace. You do not become an at-will employee. You still have just cause, and you can't be fired or disciplined for no reason. You still have the grievance procedure. Management cannot reduce your wages and benefits or change past practices. In fact, management must maintain the status quo. Ford Motor CEO Jim Farley claimed to CNN that the union's call for a 40% pay hike would put Ford out of business. The union has claimed, though, with no real factual rebuttal so far by the auto companies, that labor costs are generally less than 6% of the cost of a car, and that after-inflation gains of a 40% hike are just a bump over the life of the five years of the just-ended contract. The union has not stopped at pay demands, however. Citing the auto company's record profits, the union has insisted on bargaining over benefits that were once standard parts of UAW contracts, but have been eroded over the decades, including defined benefit pensions, health care for union retirees, and cost of living adjustments against inflation. The union has also said that they want to go after the hated tiering system, where new hires are tracked into contracted tiers with lower paying benefits than those of previously hired union workers, a system designed to erode union power and solidarity over time. As of now, the striking workers have the strong and open support of U.S. President Joe Biden, who said in part in an official announcement today at noon, quote, over the past decade, auto companies have seen record profits, including the past few years, because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of the UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers, unquote. For its part, the auto companies seem to be taking a dismissive line to the union. Stellantis had already announced this week that it would continue with a third tranche of its stock buyback program, which produced glee on Wall Street and was seen as a brush-off of the union's strike threat. As the strike hit at midnight, strikers at UAW Local 900 Michigan had this to say. We are the union! Mighty, Those are workers from UAW Local 900 in Wayne, Michigan, who as of midnight are on strike at Ford Motor Company's Michigan Assembly Plant, one of three assembly plants nationwide targeted for strikes so far by the UAW, which has promised an expansion should the union not make progress in its contract negotiations with the big three automakers. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. Former employees of Crushing It Apparel, now known as Thunder Bay, held a press conference Tuesday to demand back wages, fair treatment, and a contract. Labor Radio's Carol Weidel was there. This week, employees fired by Crushing It Apparel gathered at the company's new location in Columbus, Wisconsin. Now known as Thunder Bay, the business failed to pay its immigrant workers and fired them. Owner Jeremy Kruk has ignored directives from the National Labor Relations Board. Rebecca Meyer-Rao described their efforts to get a just wage and a union. Good morning. My name is Rebecca Meyer-Rao. I'm the Executive Director of Worker Justice Wisconsin. 
a worker center that partners primarily with non-unionized immigrant workers as they fight for their rights and collectively organize. We are here today to hold Jeremy Crook, owner of Crushing It Apparel, now Thunder Bay, where we are now, to account. We are holding Jeremy Crook to account. Let me tell you why he needs to be held to account. Last August, August 22, eight employees of Crushing It Apparel, a few of them right here, handed in a petition asking Crook, the owner, for safer and cleaner working conditions. He immediately retaliated by firing them, all of them. The workers organized a three-day picket, after which he rehired them, only to unlawfully fire them again less than a month later. The workers presented their demands and voted to join the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, or IUPAT Local 7. Crook has yet to bargain in good faith. Worker Justice Wisconsin and IUPAT 7 filed over 20 unfair labor practice charges with the National Labor Relations Board, or the NLRB, because Crook kept retaliating against his workers for their organizing efforts. On June 29, 2023, just a few months ago, the NLRB issued its decisions regarding these unfair labor practice charges. Among other things, the board required that Crook cease and desist from equating employees' protected concerted activity to extortion and lying. He continues to do this. David described his experience working for Jeremy Crook with the assistance of a translator. Buenos días. Mi nombre es David. Soy un empleador de crushing in apparel desde mil, desde mil, desde 2022. Good morning. My name is David. I have been an employee of Crushing It Apparel since 2022. I am a father to three children and I provide for my family. The reason I'm here today is to first say to the entire working class, especially the immigrant working class, that we the workers have power. Justice is a long and difficult road, but through solidarity, mutual aid, and camaraderie, we can win. Second, to Mr. Jeremy Crook, our employer and owner of Crushing It Apparel, we were right. One year ago, we sought help from Worker Justice Wisconsin because we were experiencing unjust working conditions, a hot, dirty workplace, mistreatment, and wage theft. The employer paid us whenever he felt like it. With the efforts of the Painters Union, the workers expect to get justice. The union had this to say. The union demands that Mr. Crook stop with the lies and the deceit and comply with the order that was issued by the board uh, and their decision to negotiate a fair contract for the workers with the union and to also reinstate the workers, which was spelled out in the labor board's decision. The company has had enough time to consider the situation. And now it's time for Mr. Kruk to do the right thing for these workers and their families. These workers are not a commodity for Mr. Kruk to use and throw away. They are members of the community with children and families 
that rely on them to provide food, stability, and shelter. It's the union's position that it's time for Jeremy Crook to treat them with the respect and the dignity that they deserve. Thank you. The eight Latinx immigrant workers Jeremy Crook fired, stole from, and who are awaiting their union contract are fed up. They want the public to know about Jeremy's fraudulent practices and to pressure him to pay what they're owed and to sit down to bargain their first union contract in good faith. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. OPEIU Local 39 negotiations with Madison Gas and Electric are ongoing and union negotiators charge that the company has not offered anything new or demonstrated willingness to negotiate in good faith on wages or health care. Labor Radio spoke to Kelsey Hahn, the chief steward of OPEIU Local 39 at MG&E. You have been in negotiations for a while now. You had a negotiation meeting today. Can you tell us if there's been any progress? We were able to get some TAs on some minor things that were still out there, things where we had gotten close. But we've told the company repeatedly over the last two months that what we really need to see from them is a wage package and a counterproposal on health care. They acknowledge that they owe us that. The last time we saw a wage proposal from the company was July 13th. We just keep hoping we're going to hear something from them and we keep asking them to give us something and we keep not getting it. What kind of leverage do you have to get them to come closer? I'm not sure. I certainly don't think we're close to a strike or anything like that. They'd like to make all of these changes to the leave package. The changes they've talked about, because they want to switch over, I think, most of the company as of January 1st, that's great. But if they want to make that happen, then we're not going to agree to that without having a contract. What little movement have you had so far? We TA'd today on the 401k. There's a slight improvement to the employer match. That was something that they had agreed to as part of the IBEW settlement. Our members aren't thinking about their retirement. Our members are thinking about how to keep their lights on every month. We accepted fairly small improvements to 401k compared to some of what we asked for. The other thing that we got was something enshrined in the contract about remote work. We had started off pushing for more remote options, and it became clear that that was not going to go anywhere. So we did agree to make sure what we have now is in there. That and the 401k, we hadn't been too far apart on as of last week either. It was really just language cleanup. So, I mean, we have been trying to get things picked off where we can get them. It sounds like there were several areas that you were able to get a tentative agreement on. Yep. And from what you said, it sounds like both of those areas are areas where you agreed to go in their direction. Exactly. It's been a lot of us having to compromise. When have they come your way? Not on much. There's some really minor movement on how long you can be at the company before you transfer into another role. Even that, they didn't come fully our way. We met in the middle on it. It seems like they're operating under the impression that they're wearing us down. And it's really having the opposite effect. My team is only getting more frustrated and less and less willing to compromise. What does the company care about in terms of you guys? Public opinion is something we have been working on. We did the press release a few weeks ago. That was a new one for us. 
How can listeners help? You can let the company know. You can let leadership know. You can let Jeff Keebler know that this is a community energy company that doesn't want to pay its workers enough to be participants in its community. That was Kelsey Hahn of OPEIU Local 39. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Earlier this month, UW Oshkosh announced layoffs and furloughs. What's behind the cuts, and what is the union doing to respond? Frank Emsbeck has the story. After weeks of rumors, Oshkosh Chancellor Dr. Andrew J. Levitt told Oshkosh faculty, staff, and students the university would lay off 200 staff, and all remaining employees of the institution would face furloughs. Furloughs are unpaid days off, essentially pay cuts ranging up to 8% of the annual wage. The chancellor blamed an $18 million budget shortfall and declining enrollment, forcing him to make this decision. Labor Radio spoke with Paul Van Arken, organizing director of AFT Local 6506, United Faculty and Staff of Oshkosh, and a sociology professor. Right now, the union is pushing for a more equitable implementation of the cuts. Van Arken explains. We're pushing for that number to be disproportionately inclusive of higher paid upper administrators. It's the furloughs do include everyone employed here. And one thing that 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 we've pushed for and been successful with is to have those furloughs be graduated based on your income level. So it's it's a lot more equitable than it could have been. As a layoff and staff resignations continue. An administration-led restructuring process is underway. Van Arken comments. We have discussions and actions around restructuring the university in different ways that that would be very transformative, could end up being good in the long run. But major things like going from four colleges within the university to three, changing curricular requirements for students and such, that it's, it's a top-down kind of process that's happening so far, which makes a lot of people uh, nervous and upset. In response, the union introduced a proposal to the Faculty Senate, which in turn has voted to accept them. These demands or expectations will be given to the Chancellor with a request that he respond by October 1st. Van Arken explains expectations, I guess, is the way it's phrased, expectations for collaboration going forward, trying to have a, take a positive kind of constructive spin on it. We can, we can help if you, if you let us be part of the conversation, but these are the things we respect. And we want to hear by October 1st. And then after that point, depending on what we hear, we'll, we'll take additional action. At this point, the union has not determined what those actions might be. Van Arken also addressed the root cause of the crisis at UW Oshkosh. We asked, what is the cause of the problem? The main problem is a lack of state funding. It's particularly absurd when we're, when we're talking about a period of record budget surplus. But, you know, we've been dealing with a, the, an attack on the UW system for at least a decade. And so at the root of it, it's a lack of support for the state system. That was Paul Van Arken, a faculty member and union leader from UW Oshkosh, describing the crisis at UW Oshkosh. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. And next, we'll hear a short statistic 
on the link between social spending and poverty among working families. Based on data published by the Census Bureau this week, the Economic Policy Institute has published a new review tying an increase in poverty to recent reductions in national safety net spending, especially those programs targeted towards working class families. According to the report, median household income dipped by 2.3% as the inflationary shock of 2022 overwhelmed the benefits of a strong labor market. Comprehensive measures of poverty, specifically those based on the Supplemental Poverty Measures, or SPM, showed very sharp increases. The overall SPM poverty rate rose by 4.6 percentage points, up to 12%, while child poverty more than doubled, rising from 5.2% to 12.4%. These poverty increases were also a casualty of the inflationary shock, but an even more important upward driver of poverty was the policy choice to allow the pandemic-era expansions to the safety net to expire. In particular, the expiration of the Child Tax Credit, or CTC, expansions was particularly damaging to child poverty. Even in strong labor markets, such as the one outlined by the Census Bureau data, there are families that will have trouble finding enough work and enough well-paid work to provide economic security. This is particularly true for families with children. The sharp reductions in child poverty in 2020 and 2021 that were engineered even in the face of a pandemic-damaged economy show the importance of the continuation of these safety nets. If policymakers were willing to maintain the pandemic-era child tax credit expansions, a much smaller share of children would be living in poverty. More ambitious but economically sustainable expansions of our generally stingy welfare state could essentially eliminate this poverty altogether. Information in this story was sourced from a statement released by Elise Gould and Ismael Sid Martinez for the Economic Policy Institute. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. Republican leaders in Wisconsin are doing everything that they can to prevent the Wisconsin Supreme Court from hearing the challenges to our current state legislative maps ever since the balance on the court changed with the swearing-in of our newest justice on August 1st, Janet Protasewicz. Legal challenges to the existing maps were submitted directly to the court on August 2nd. After demanding that Justice Protasewicz recuse herself from the cases, Republican leaders threatened to impeach her. Many in our state strongly impose efforts to increase the justice. On Monday, September 11th, the Wisconsin State AFL-CIO sent an urgent message to Wisconsinites of all political parties to oppose the Republican legislature's threat to impeach our newly elected state Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasewicz before she even hears a single case. They dubbed the maneuver, quote, a shameless, politically motivated attempt to disregard the will of the voters and an affront to our democracy, end quote. The message called on all union members to contact their elected representatives and make it clear to Speaker Voss and others in the legislature that the people of Wisconsin will not stand for any further attempts to strip us of our democratic rights by attempting to overturn a free and fair election. The legislature appears to have since backed off from the threat of impeachment and is now trying a new tactic to avoid a state Supreme Court ruling on Wisconsin's current legislative maps, often referred to as the most gerrymandered maps in the country. 
The new proposal would avoid the state Supreme Court altogether. State Republican Assembly Leader Robin Voss introduced a proposal to create a nonpartisan agency to keep or redraw a new map. Under this new proposal, the legislature would have the power to vote in favor of or against any proposed maps. They would also determine who would be in the agency. After the proposal, Governor Evers said in a statement, quote, A legislature that has now repeatedly demonstrated they will not uphold basic tenets of our democracy and will bully, threaten, or fire on a whim anyone who happens to disagree with them cannot be trusted to appoint or oversee someone charged with drawing fair maps, end quote. The issue of gerrymandered maps impacts working people in our state on a daily basis. Fairer maps could result in representatives who listen to their constituents on important issues such as expanding Medicaid in our state, reproductive health care and access to abortion, recognition of a union for UW nurses, and equitable access to voting. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. The Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign has announced events scheduled for 7 p.m. this weekend on Sunday, September 17th, to combat the loss of Medicaid coverage after pandemic funding has ended. In less than six months, since April 1st, at least 5.4 million people nationally have already lost their Medicaid coverage, including more than 1 million children. The Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign is holding events in Madison, Beloit, and Oshkosh called Vigils for Our Healthcare and Our Lives, the Nonviolent Medicaid Army Week of Action. In Madison, the vigil will be held in the Triangle Community at 755 Braxton Place, again on Sunday at 7 p.m. For more details, go to the website at poorpeoplescampaign, that's all one word, dot org, or on Facebook, go to the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Ann Habel. Thanks to editor Frank Emsbach, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hahn, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, web poster Anya Lee, and all our readers and members of IBEW Local 2304, the WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Bert Zipperer. We also would like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned now for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Blues Professor Bill Clark. Have a good night.